On today's show, Wes Morton of Peachtree Hoops joins me for a two-part discussion. This is part one you're about to listen to talking about Summer League, Pascal Siakam, and more. All of that on the way. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1523 of the Lawton Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowling, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday here in mid-July. And I am joined in a second by my friend Wes Morton of Peachtree Hoops, talking about the everything, honestly, with regard to the Atlanta Hawks from Summer League, as well as some Pascal Simiakam talk at the end of part two. This is part one of a two-part conversation that runs about an hour in total. So if you miss anything, come back and listen to the entire thing, part one first, as you listen to right now, and then part two, stay tuned for that anywhere you get your podcast. Without any further delay, here's myself and Wes Morton talking Summer League, Siakam, and more. I am joined now by Wes Morton of Peachtree Hoops. Wes, thank you for coming back to the podcast. How are you in this uh, sort of mid-July area where things are not quite as crazy as they have been previously? Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm doing all right. Yeah, excited to, like we've talked about, have a little bit, a little bit of a break maybe about two months off of, you know, as long as no crazy news breaks, but two months with no, with no actual live basketball happening. Yeah. I, I should say at the top, while I have you here, I mean, you've been on the show before, but now you are uh, the managing editor at Peachtree Hoops. So congratulations on that. Living thanks. Dream. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. I guess so. Take it on responsibility. I mean, following yeah. in your, your footsteps and, and many other uh, Hawks blogging legends. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a job that I once held. So I understand exactly what you're dealing with. And uh, it is it is definitely fun. It's still a lot of work. And uh, that's a site that I still read all the time. So I want people to know that top of the podcast, we'll have we'll have you plug everything as well later on in the show. But uh, we were talking, I was going to have you on during Summer League. Uh, we talked about this. And then I got to Vegas and had significant internet issues. So we're doing this after Summer League is over, which is maybe better in some respects. We, we, we had a chance to watch five games of these players. We'll probably talk about Siakam at the end of this podcast as well, because that's uh, the topic du jour around the Hawks right now. But I wanted to dig in with someone who I know was watching uh, about summer league. So before I get into like the players, which is certainly the number one takeaway, because as everyone, I think hopefully understands wins and losses don't really matter that much in summer league. But I uh, was going through your, your tweets and some of the stuff that you wrote about um, the Hawks during the summer league run. And you talked a lot about like Quinn Snyderball, basically, and the way the Hawks were playing. And I want to know what you thought about like just basically the playing style. I, I will just certainly say that you have to adjust for summer league because summer league is just very weird overall. It's not like NBA competition in some respects. But what did you make of the way they were playing and kind of how like what you noticed about how they were trying to operate an offensive defense? Right, yeah. So, so definitely uh, looked like Quinn Ball. I mean, of course, uh, that's kind of what I've been calling it, just Quinn Ball. Which, I mean, like you said, it's summer league. That you know, th- these are kind of just like loose, loose sort of things. Like they, they didn't look like they were running specific plays on offense, for example. But um, I think the number one thing to take away was just the three point shooting. Like they, they got up a ton of attempts. Um, I know they got up a ton of attempts. I think the first game and then this this last fifth game, I think they they were both over forty attempts, but they were, I think they ended up maybe just under forty threes per game, something like thirty eight threes per game. You know they were putting up you know maybe somewhere between forty to fifty percent of their shots from the field were, were three pointers, and and some of that is just just having your personnel. Um, a lot of the guys they brought into the, the summer league team were um, 
just simply guys who could shoot, uh, guys who are confident um, catching and shooting, or, or even some guys who could pull up and shoot. Um, you think of, you know, obviously on, on two-way deals, you have uh, Seth Lundy and, and Miles Norris. Uh, Lundy's, Lundy's out of Penn State, but he's he was probably the main one because you actually heard some quotes come out from Summer League from him saying, listen, I know my place in the league is to shoot threes. Like, you know, when I get the ball, I'm going to, um, you know, maybe have someone else create for me and, and I'm going to be a three and D guy. So, you know, Lundy was not shy about putting him up. He had a bunch of, bunch of attempts that, you know, some were open, some were in the guy's grill, you know, just kind of, um, just kind of always showed that confidence. And um, I think he hit a pretty good uh, deal of him. I got, I think I got some of the stats pulled up, but, you know, um, that's, that's something I think that Snyder is looking to implement around Trey Young and DeJounte Murray because, I mean, those guys can shoot the ball, but it's not really their game. Like, you know, these guys, they, they want to run pick and rolls. They want to get to the paint. You know, Trey likes to get to his floater. DeJounte likes to get to his kind of elbow pull up. Um, so so I think the idea going forward, and obviously Quinn Schneider has a lot of kind of say in how he builds the team, is to put guys who are maybe 3 and D guys, guys who are comfortable spotting up. They don't need to see the ball as much. Um but guys who, you know, kind of the, the sort of prototypical like um, three-point stance guys where you get the ball, you, you, you shoot, if you're open around the arc, um, you maybe try to find someone with a quick pass or, or maybe you, you put the ball on the floor to, to dribble. Um, I think I think that's that's kind of a big thing. Uh, you really see that with the, the fours that Snyder has kind of brought in. Um, obviously, they, they went up and traded for, for Muhammad Gay. There's been a lot of hype, of course, around him, but – He's super versatile. You, know, you can definitely see the upside with with his 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 handle, his his ability to pull and shoot. He's also flashed his passing. Uh, Miles Norris again is a, it's a stretch four, you know, guy you can six ten, you can shoot. So so the idea is just to get a lot of shooting, a lot of guys who are comfortable um, catching and shooting, um, moving the ball. Um, obviously, there's the young guys. You know, some of the, the majority of these guys aren't aren't going to like you know crack the rotation immediately. But but the idea is. Um, you know, try to surround Trey and DeJounte with those types of guys. Obviously, they sent John Callens out out to Utah. And I think the idea is to, you know, um, have a little bit more um, versatility on offense at four going forward, sliding, you know, DeAndre Hunter to the four, playing some Sadiq Bay at the four. Um, so, so I think obviously shooting will be a big thing. You know, the Hawks were, I think, I think they finished last year lowest in, in attempts. As, an, as a percentage of their field goal attempts from three. And Snyder has always been – his Utah teams were basically near the top of the league. So they're going to get up more three-point attempts um, going forward. And, and the summer league was kind of a testing ground with even, you know, some players that, that may not make the team. But the same style will, will happen. You know, they'll have a pick and roll. and They'll, they'll kind of flow into that kind of spread, spread sort of uh, basis that they had, you know, two years ago when they did to the ECF and – Eastern Conference Finals and, and try to get back towards, you know, really putting up volume three-pointers. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. If you're into daily fantasy sports, you need to check out the award-winning app at Prize Picks. 
Price Picks Daily Fantasy made easy. It's awesome. I've been playing there for years now, honestly. It's very easy to use at Price Picks whether you're doing it for the first time or you're a seasoned veteran like I happen to be. At Price Picks, all you have to do is choose two, three, four, or five, or even six players, and then decide whether you actually have more or less than a certain number of points or rebounds or maybe total yards in the NFL, total bases in baseball, strikeouts, etc. From there, what if 25 times the money on your entries? It's just that easy, honestly. They offer numbers on all kinds of different sports from the NBA, college basketball, college football, NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA, etc. And a whole bunch of done in just a minute or less. It's that quick. Plus, it's just you against the numbers, making it very easy to evaluate what's going on at Prize Picks. They have safe and fast withdrawals, and they're operating in more than 30 states now, plus Canada as well. Go to PrizePix.com and actually download the Prize Picks app right now. It's on Day Fantasy Sports. If you're a first time user, you get 100% is deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. Again, that promo code is locked on and sign up for this deposit match up to $100. Check it out now, either on the Prize Picks app or PrizePix.com. Yeah, the Hawks ended up actually leading the league last year in two point attempts, which is kind of what you're saying. Like they took so many, right. it was so many twos, so little threes. They were 28th in the league, I think it was at the end of the year, at three point attempts, and the point attempt rate was really low, et cetera. Um, that was always going to change some. I think it was kind of outlier, honestly, outlier bad in my opinion last year. Like the way that they operated that way, I think it was um, a little better under Quinn, but not like a total and I would say total overhaul when he took over, which was never. I think there was this expectation, not necessarily with people like me and you, about like what was going to change as soon as Quinn took over, and like you can't really do that much in the middle of the season. They changed a lot of things. They changed a lot of stuff, but you can't just overhaul everything. And I think that it's summer league; you don't want to make too much of it. But they definitely are playing a little bit differently, uh, I think, organizationally. And that I think Quinn has not been shy about pointing to the fact that he wants to take a lot of threes, and that's. Um, both it kind of fits the personnel on some level, maybe not DeJounte, but almost everyone else um, at least kind of fits around that mold. And uh, you're talking about Summer League. Like I pulled up the, the per 36 uh, per 36 minute numbers from the Summer League guys. They had, I believe it was eight guys attempt at least seven per 36 minutes. And that's a lot of attempts. Uh, Lundy took more than 13 per 36 minutes. <laughs> Yeah. To your to your point earlier about like yeah I think uh, he was the one that he I, I think I was, I was the one that he told that to like he basically said you know I know my job is to shoot basically and he's working with Kyle Korver and like he's obviously a sort of an outlier in that way like he's going to be a bomber I know he, I know yeah I think he was 05 or 06 in the finale but his numbers were pretty good before that he's going to shoot a lot but you know guys like even supporting guys like Brady Manick and uh, Tyson Etienne were getting a lot of threes. Jarko Joyner was shooting a lot of threes. Like, but AJ took almost 10 per 36 minutes in his two games. Tyree Smart was shooting a lot of threes, almost 8 per 36. Buffkin, almost 8, 8 per 36. So it was definitely an emphasis, it seemed like. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned the thing about power forwards, too, because not only with Collins, but you know, you're going to have Sadiq Bey play a lot of power forward this year, for instance. And that's a very different entity at the power forward spot than they've had at most of the time. You know, Even with Gallo, who was a great shooter, um, Gallo was still much more of a traditional power forward than someone like Sadiq Bey, who really is a combo forward, like pure floor spacer in a lot of ways. Obviously, Jalen is not quite that. He's a, he's a much different player. But um, I, I think that you'll probably see more of them playing guys who traditionally, when I say traditionally, I mean like five years ago plus, would have been small forwards, and they'll be playing power forward. If Hunter's still on the team, Hunter will be playing a lot of power forward this year, I have a feeling. So, like, that's an interesting uh, kind of wrinkle there, too, that kind of plays into what you're saying. Right, yeah. And so, I mean, I think it kind of ties in, you know, it's more of like a versatility thing, you know, as opposed to just having, you know, static guys who, you know, maybe they can catch and shoot, but if, if they're crowded, you know, they're not able to put it on the deck, you know, 
Um, you know, Bay's a guy who, who who looked like he he was able to kind of attack closeouts, but also you know, obviously space the floor and and be comfortable when he when he gets the ball, like I said, in that kind of three point stance. And um, you know, I think that's you know, obviously there were there were other reasons for for moving on from from John Collins, but you know, I think that kind of played into the calculus of well, well, you know, if we have if we have a clink on the floor, like we only really need one role guy, like you know, John John could certainly before past season could hit threes, but he wasn't a dynamic shot maker. He wasn't a dynamic, um, you know, decision maker with the ball in his hands. He was just sort of a play finisher. So um, like you said, having guys who, who have the confidence to shoot, shoot when they're, when they're crowded, even when a closeout's coming or, or maybe fake and, and put the ball on the deck and, and dribble, you know, I think that's, that's a big thing. Um, so yeah, even manic, I mean, even honestly, even the fives, I think Cub and Jelly got up a few few threes as well. They all, yeah, they all shot. I mean, everybody that played took some. Th- even uh, you know they played Santos randomly in Game Five yeah. last <laughs> night, and even even he took I think a couple of threes. So they did. They didn't really play anybody that was incapable or unwilling to take three in summer league, which is you don't have to have every single guy do that, but they really did not play anybody that, that wouldn't shoot. By right. The week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like I said. I, you know, I think that's probably a little over the top. Like it, you're not going to expect, you know, Clint Capella, <laughs> yeah. if Clint Capella is on the team next year, he's not going to put up threes. Like, no, but, but the idea is, you know, you kind of want to see what it looks like when you sort of decide that offense around, okay, we're going to space the floor, maybe give some more room for, for our drivers. Like, um, you know, guys who, who, who don't generally put up a ton of threes, but you just need to have that spacing around them um, just to keep the defense honest, to keep the defense, you know, they got to, they got to keep, keep tabs on a guy in the corner. That, you know, guy in the corner, you could shoot and open up that 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 spacing for, you know, obviously for the the actual the Hawks team, you know, built around Trey and Dejounte to to be able to operate if they do get down downhill, you know, off off a of pick and roll or something like that. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how this sort of translates in a game. But we're we're I think both I can probably speak for you. Like we're not trying to say summer league is going to be this huge indicator, but I, uh, it does feel like they're trying to keep everything sort of cohesive organizationally, which is usually what teams want to do. I mean, I've been to a lot of summer leagues and, you know, teams at least try to put in what they're going to do. It's a limited version of what they're going to do, but, you know, the coaches are all there. Quinn was there all week. Like he's not coach. He was not coaching the team, but Antonio Lang is going to be high up on Quinn's stat. He'll be an on-bench assistant. He was the head coach in summer league. Uh, Bree Donaldson was there. Like they have all these all these people that are going to be core to their staff. They're trying to install what they actually do. And look, as much as the Hawks were not – the sexiest summer league team out there. They were playing Cox Pavilion all the time, the smaller arena, for instance, at four out of the five games. They did have seven guys that play that project to be on the team. And when I use the word, obviously that includes two ways, but they had seven, that, that's more than most teams have in summer league. They had a lot of guys who they, I think, are trying to invest in beyond summer league in terms of like, hey, we're going to run some stuff that we're going to do in training camp. We're going to try some stuff out here. And they had practices in Vegas. They had, you know, AJ being around the team. They they definitely invested a lot in the summer league. Not necessarily like some teams go to Salt Lake City or go to California. They didn't they didn't do that. But they built, you know, it's they kind of built a mini operation for well, it's kind of what I would put it for a couple of weeks where it's a sort of a mini camp if you're going like NFL NFL terms. Like that's the way that I would view it always. The results in the games don't really matter as much. It's more about the experience and be able to like run the stuff that you're going to run and be able to install stuff and terminology. It's something Kobe Buffkin said a lot. I talked to him a few times in Vegas. Obviously, he's a rookie. It's a little bit different, but trying to get terminology down. 
and they're trying to use the terminology that they're going to use in training camp and during the season. Like that's a, it's a small thing to people on the outside like us, but for these guys that are especially going to be here for a while, knowing what you're going to see in October is a nice head start. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely the terminology. I mean, I mean, one thing I will say about that is um, I think it was definitely harder on defense than an offense. Oh, offense, yeah. they, they kind of just um, didn't look like they were actually calling plays. Like they weren't calling like very set plays with guys, you know, doing any sort of intricate thing other than maybe a, you know, a high pick and roll or something. But, but defense, you could see they, they tried to do a few different things. Um, I think for a lot of stretches, they, they, they were basically just not switching um, a lot, uh, definitely a lot less switching than, than I was used to seeing. Um, and then they started kind of playing these sort of like jumbo um, lineups with a lot of, you know, they had a lot of the last two games. I think I saw a lot of, uh, yeah, it was Norris and gay and common jelly, for example, like, all on the floor. I don't think that's something they would actually do. Um, but just try to get them used to try to get maybe some of the fours used to used to playing on the outside. I think I think they, they even specifically said they kind of want Gay to, to be able to, to, to switch up and, and guard yeah. some threes, for example. So um, but also like, you know, tell them not to switch, not to try to try to just like, you know, get them to try to come around a screen, try to navigate that screen, um, go under on guys, you know, go under, go over. Um, and you know, there are definitely some, some lapses like this always going to happen. You don't really have a lot of practices, some lapses on defense and, um, some guys sort of, sort of out of place, but trying to get that communication down, right. That that's usually like the job of the, the five who, who's seeing the whole floor. Um, I think they had some moments with, with gay at the five, but, but when it was Kamajele or, um, whoever else, I think they had some man, manic at the five, you know, trying to get them to, you know, talk about like, talk about the terminology, like try to call out like, okay, you know, how are you going to operate? How are you going to defend this screen and roll or, you know, how are you going to do these things? So that's, that's something you can't really like, it, it's hard to throw, throw a team together and you have, you know, very limited playing time. Yeah. But, but I do, I do think that'll be some things they may try to change um, going forward with, with the senior team, with the Hawks. I mean, kind of depends how they want to defend with their fours going forward. Um you know, John Collins had been kind of like a traditional sort of, you know, generally to defend the paint. You know, he was kind of like a help side four guy. But, you know, if they start deploying, you know, DeAndre Hunter or Bay at the four a lot more, then it's got to be a lot more like sort of perimeter oriented lineups. And they're going to have to maybe switch in a different way or, or drop in a different way than than they had been doing before. So, I mean, some of that will just be determined by, by the personnel. But, yeah, I think getting, getting that that – get kind of terminology down, you know, that's, that's sort of a big thing because you know, obviously when Snyder took over last season, mid season, like he basically kept the same, same sort of things as his predecessor, same sort of play calls and terminology. And, you know, you don't want to overload your players like in the middle of a season like that, try to switch things up. But now with the whole new staff, um, you know, a bunch of new, bunch of new assistants, like uh, I'm sure they're, gonna, you know, between now and you know October, they're going to try to install some new things, you know, based on the personnel they have there and um, try to figure out, you know, what are the best pieces we can do, with, you know, get certain lineups and how do we get everyone on the same page going forward? Yeah, and I think in, in general, we'll talk about some players too in a second. It's just like, I, I think we all talked about it back in February when they hired Steiner, like how important this first summer was going to be and how it's like, the first time he'll actually be able to put his imprint on things, but that's what we're seeing. I mean, that's, this is a very normal off season in a lot of ways. They got the head start, which I think was helpful, but 
as far as like as soon as exit interviews happen, basically, it's like, all right, now it's the it's the overhaul to full on Quinn Snyder mode, which is again, I think they're it worked out very well for the Hawks to be able to bring him in in February, particularly because they got they got to beat the market. They're paying him like half of what like Pop's making and Monty Williams is making, and I'm not sure that would have happened if they had waited. But like in addition to all that, now it's like okay, now it's really Quinn time, which I think is probably a point of optimism for most people in comparison to where they were um, last year at, at this time, basically. I, I do want to get to, the, to some players, though. I want to start with a guy who actually played two games, and that's Edgy Griffin. So he hasn't played in a while. Uh, I'm sure you got some of the questions, too, that I got. There was a conspiracy theory somewhere. I don't even know where it started about, like, him sitting out for trade purposes. Uh, I know where it started. <laughs> it, was, it was so funny because, like, I literally – I mean, before the, before they even went, he told the media the plan was for him to play roughly two games, right? He said this on the right. record in Atlanta before he left. Then after the second game, I flat out reported and was confirmed by the team that he wasn't playing anymore after two games. Like, it wasn't like there was any mystery. He was still with the team. It was the play all the way along. Like, it's also, if you watch generally before at all, guys don't usually play the whole week if they're coming back as, like, rotation players in year two or year three. So, like, there was nothing out of the ordinary about this, but it was just kind of funny. Anyway, between that and, like, he didn't play all that well. It's two games, but he, he didn't he didn't dominate in the way that, like, Keegan Murray did, for instance. It's like a guy that I saw him compared to. Like, Hawks fans wanted to look like Keegan Murray. It's like, okay, would have been nice if he averaged 35 a game or whatever. But um, I guess the way that I'll ask this is, like, does it matter to you at all that he didn't play that well? Like, does because for me it doesn't really matter, but I want, I want to know what you think. I mean, no, not really. I mean, I, I would. I mean, I honestly thought he played. I mean, he, he didn't really shoot the ball that well, but he was I, fine. I thought, I thought yeah, he, he was bad. fine. Yeah. But he's the thing is, he's not. He's not a player like Keegan Murray, where you just give him the ball and like go operate, and he's gonna like, go dominate. Like typically, you second year guy, he's twenty years old or whatever, he'll just kind of physically just sort of be able to have his way, get to the pain, and create. That's not really AJ's game. He, he's more of a guy who, who would play off of, you know, he'll he'll attack. You know, maybe a switch or you know attack, you know, kind of a, a tilted defense, and, and obviously he's, you know, great at spot up and shooting and all that. But I think I think the bigger, the bigger thing to look for, or, and the bigger the bigger uh, thing to take away was I think he looked great defensively. It looks like he took took a lot of strides, and um, they kind of had him, you know, sort of defending some 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 guards, and looked like he, he was moving laterally. I mean, I know he, he didn't get the chance to, to play last last year, and I think that last year's last year's summer league and obviously missed the first you know month or so of the, the season month month and a half but just being able to, to kind of get up to game speed um looks like like i said he was moving around well um no real issues with his you know, with his lower body issues he came in from from college with and like i said it looked like he moved laterally he, he, he kind of uh looked like he was always in the right place um obviously kind of a leader on the defense at that point that, that he's been a rotation player majority of last season so i mean that's really what you want to see like i said he didn't you know he didn't really play that well um offensively shooting the ball or anything like that but wasn't anything to worry about it's two games in summer league like i said you're, you're thrown in there with a bunch of teammates that yeah. you know you haven't practiced with you know with the new coach and you know it's small sample size obviously and all the way out in vegas like there, there's there's so much that can happen like i've seen i've seen guys have great summer leagues and then come back and you know, nothing really and, and vice versa. Yeah. So <laughs> agreed wholeheartedly. And yeah, I mean, I, beyond just not shooting the ball well, I didn't really take away much of anything. I don't think that AJ's personality is one to like take over either in that way. Like he wasn't going to be the guy that like, 
is like, okay, this is my team now coming back for year two yeah. in summer yeah. league. Like that's not really the way AJ is in a, I, I think in generally a good way. Like he was just trying to be there and like help guys out for sure. And he talked about, you know, kind of being a sounding board for other guys, but he was going to play within the system. He didn't like dominate the ball. He did. They, they were trying to be actually Lang said on the record, I think to me and Lauren and Jamila, like, basically they wanted him to be more aggressive. They were trying to get AJ to do more. And he like, you know, it's not natural for him is the way that I think Lane described it, which is, it makes sense. Like AJ's not that guy, you know, in high school, he did have that a little bit more. Like he was uh, much more of an on ball creator. I think he still has a little bit of that, but he's not going to be, I don't think ever a guy like as a primary, like, you know, ball handler necessarily is going to be able to do that. I think his, his increased usage is more of what we saw when he had it going this year at times when it's like more of that in between game, more of that, like, you know, his, his craft is like a pump fakes up and unders and that kind of stuff. He's not going to be a guy that brings the ball up the court and like goes ISO one-on-one off the dribble a ton. I don't think maybe right. he will eventually, but that's not, that's not really what his game. And that's honestly what summer league is in a lot of ways for guys who score a lot. It's basically that. And that's not really what he does. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it definitely, like you said, it just tailors a different sort of, you know, player or whatever. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of guys, like I said, you know, not to not call somebody, but um, I think Cleveland's in the final today, and you yeah, get a guy right. like Amani Bates, and this is like Amani Bates is like perfect for this is like the format for him, just just give him the ball and and you know let him let him go to work. But like I said, AJ is more of a guy. He's going to play off of, you know, he's going to play off of a Trey Young. He's going to play off of a Dejounte Murray. You know, he'll be able to attack. He'll pick his spots when you attack. But I mean, you know, he obviously had a you know great rookie season. You know, kind of, kind of, obviously more advanced than, than I thought. You know, very efficient, like you said, from, you know, basically all three levels, and um, not, you know, not going to let you know two games that, and whatever, that was like the funniest 40, thing forty for minutes me. played to to derail that. Yeah, that was the funniest thing for me. It was like there was this again. I think it might just be fans that are frustrated and it's 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 summer league or whatever. But um, the fact that people were really worried about his efficiency made me laugh aloud. Cause like he, that's the one thing, like he was, he was extremely efficient this year by right. even normal state. I mean, much less being a rookie, like I'm going to care a lot more about the way that he is able to be efficient in a regular season context than I am in the two summer league games. So anyway, we can leave that there. I want to at least bring that up. Uh, the other guy that is probably the other headliner is Kobe Bufkin, obviously for you know, first round pick reasons. He was not efficient either in summer league, did not shoot the ball well from three all week long. It was like 15%. Like it was really bad. Um, but I thought in general was in control of things on offense, which was good. You know, he had some turnover issues, et cetera. Defensively got better as the week went along. Um, I said this last night and I got some pushback from people. So I'll just, I'll, I'll throw it out there to you and see what you think. My, my framing was, I feel kind of the same about Buffkin that I did two weeks ago. And I don't know if that's, makes me crazy or if you agree or not, but I don't think anything really changed the way that I view him as a prospect, but I want to know what you think about him now versus how you thought about him at the draft, et cetera. Uh, I mean, I'm generally in the same range. I might, I might be a tiny bit, you know, lower on him, but, but again, I'm not going to let, you know, again, for all the reasons I've kind of already said before, I'm not going to let this kind of like, you know, trump my kind of evaluation of him coming into the draft. Um, it's not really a great format for him. Um, plus he was, he's kind of, you know, you could tell like, you know, the, the plan for him this week is, okay, get him the ball, get him to do point guard stuff, get him to, you know, come off screens and, you know, make all these decisions. And, you know, he just frankly just needs some, some work and development on, on certain aspects. Like, you know, um, I think we've mentioned like, you know, the kind of physicality, you know, he's still a pretty, pretty slight guy. 
yeah, six four, one ninety five, like some of that. You know, you just you just gotta get kind of like an NBA level sort of conditioning and get get a little stronger. Uh, sometimes he got pushed off when he was trying to finish in the paint. Um, you know, other other things like you know, very left hand dominant. You know, it seemed like he he could definitely drive better going left as opposed to going right. So so those things have kind of come in time. Like, but that, but again, that's not really his game. His game is is more complimentary. Um, I think a lot of it was just just get him reps, just get him get him some reps on tape to to see like okay, how how does he operate on the ball. But you know he's not going to see the ball nearly that much going forward. He, he it's not really what he did last year in Michigan either. Um, but um, there there were some positives, like you said. You know the defense definitely got better. You, you could you could see the you know I saw him definitely make some some great plays where he's ranging over and yeah. providing help and or, or staying staying around. Staying on guys around screens, you know, um, obviously still made some mistakes, but you know he's just really young and still pretty experienced. Um, you know, I, when you pick a guy 15th overall, you're, you're not expecting that guy to, to step in. Really not expecting that guy to step in into rotation most times until maybe you know maybe if they kind of prove themselves during the season. You know, it's not like you you, you picked a guy top five and you're sort of expecting a little bit more immediate results. Um, the Hawks can certainly afford to wait on him. Um, I think there are scenarios where he's, you know, he's just not in the rotation at the moment. They, they don't necessarily need a guard. Um, depending on what you think of, you know, a Patty Mills, um, if he could be your third guard. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of that is just he, he's definitely a lot farther away from rotation minutes than I kind of expected coming into the draft. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean I'm lower on him long term, you know, year two or year three than that I was coming into a draft. Like I just, I don't think this format was really set up for him very well and, you know, kind of being, being thrown into, you know, here's this on ball role where you got to do a lot of the creation with the teammates you've never played with. Like that's a tough ask, you know, guards. Yeah. I think, I think in today's NBA guards, you know, small point guards, especially have the hardest time adapting, like, because the game's just so big and physical and, things are moving at a million miles per hour. Like we seen guy, I mean, Trey Young didn't have a great first summer league, but not <laughs> that he's Trey Young, but he did not guards just have a very difficult time of sort of figuring out what they need to be doing, you know, and they're kind of picking the point guard roles and, and trying to, you know, create and, and lead that offense. Yeah. I think that it's interesting because I think maybe the reason why I didn't have my opinion change is because I expect rookie guards to be bad for instance like especially one like you know, he, i know he's not one and done but he's he's the age of a one and done like he's 19 years old still rookie guards are generally not good um i thought for sure he would take some time and also what you said is i think maybe under discussed and i tried to pass it along to people being there talking to antonio lang in particular but lang kind of went out of his way multiple times to talk about how like buffkin's never been a point guard in the way they were asking him to be the point guard of this team, which I think is a very good thing for him to experience. Summer league is a good breeding ground. And again, that's one of the reasons why, what we always say, like results don't really matter that much summer league. It's an, it's an experiment on some level. Like they knew before the week even started, like Buffkin's never done this before. It, there's probably going to be some Rocky moments, but they wanted him to do that. That's, and that, that may, uh, the Hawks don't really have as many examples as other teams do, but there's been times where like, I think of even teams that do this in the NBA, like maybe guys who are not point guards that they just kind of want to handle those reps. I think Buffkin's a good example of that. Like, I think he, he might be able to play point guard on the line. I'm not saying he can't, 
but that's not he. What, that's not the role he was drafted to be. And I said that on recent podcasts, and someone was like, "Well, what is he then?" I'm like, "Well, he's he's a combo. That's that's what he is." And I think if you had to choose position for him right now in the NBA to play minutes today, it's the two. It's not the one, and that's fine. He's more experienced in that in that realm. But given the, what given how skinny he is, given the assignment he was given to kind of just do this thing he's never done before, I expect it to be rocky. And like I, I thought, I don't know about you, I thought he was pretty clearly the bright spot of the of the last game. I mean, the Hawks played terrible on Sunday, but I thought he was pretty good. Actually, he was probably the only guy that was pretty good. Um, I don't know. It was, I'm not saying he was great because he wasn't. And the efficiency was questionable and he's got to get bigger and stronger, but that's, that's stuff that we kind of already knew. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, uh, that's, you know, like you said, it, it kind of just, it's just easy to see when you see it in a game mode. Yeah. You know, it's that, honestly, that's probably the biggest thing is that for as much as and I'm not picking on anybody here, I promise, but like, how many how many fans watched beyond the highlights of Kobe Buffett in Michigan? In all honesty, like I'm not, I'm, this right. is not a criticism. It's just that's just the reality. It's the first time you're seeing your guy in your Hawks uniform. It's on it's on national TV, and like you're going to over-index that. It's the same. It's the kind of the same thing we'll talk about him later. But the first impression for a lot of Hawks fans on Muhammad Gay was that first half of the first game, and that suddenly he's like a future All Star because no one's ever seen the guy play before, and now he looks like this for ten minutes. And if you watch the whole week, he's he was not that guy. But that's sticky. The first thing is, is sticky. I mean, it's it's the Trey Young. You mentioned Trey Young before. Obviously, I'm I'm not saying Kobe Buck is Trey Young. He's probably not Trey Young. Trey Young is the star. But Trey was so bad in Salt Lake that it became a talking point for six months. I mean, it was it was insane. I mean, it was like it was like a yeah. national story every day because he was so yeah. bad. So yeah. like. It is what it is. Like I, I just think people make too much of this stuff in general. But I, I do think that your point there is a good one. That um, even a guy who played at Michigan, like a prominent program, and was a first round pick, and like I still think that the majority of fans don't have a lot of backstory with Kobe Bufkin. They they just like have heard maybe what you said or written read what you said on on PetriHoops.com, or they've read a scouting report from Sam Vecini, or they've read a scouting report from you know. Jonathan Cavoni or whatever. They, how many people have watched more than a game of Kobe Bufkin before this week? Probably not that many. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it, it's kind of yeah, it, it's kind of like yeah. As a fan, you want to be hopeful. You want to just you sure. Know, you know, you want to. I, I think the other thing is, you know, with summer league, you've got all thirty teams there in Las Vegas. You see, some guys are just taking over. Like, you know, obviously there's a whole kind of Cam Wetmore sort of thing. And, you know, there's there's yeah, like people that already have buyer's yeah. remorse, like five games. I, I'm going to have to do a whole league. podcast about that, I feel like, just because <laughs> like uh, – and trust me, I I was someone who mentioned that I would have, from what I heard, drafted Cam Whitmore. Like I, I was not right. anti-Whitmore, but uh, I saw a lot of that today, especially after he was named Summer League MVP. And it's like, number one, I think there were uh, – there have been lots, lots of guys that are not – there were not players that became Summer League MVP. Right. I, I, wasn't Glenn Rice – Junior, some of the MVP. I think I think he was. Hey, hey, we don't tech talk legend. About that's that's, 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 why, that's tech why I brought legend. him up. That's why I brought him yeah. up with you. Uh, he, he was, yeah. We, we had Josh, Josh Selby. Um, yeah, there, there were lots of those. Anyway, Adam Morrison. We're, we're yeah, off yeah, the rails, <laughs> but I I think that it's just uh, as a point of clarification, like, yeah, would it have been better if he shot the ball better this week? Sure, it would have been. But like, other than that, I don't really think there was too much. And look, I mean, he, he won, them the, he won them the fourth game. I mean, he made four, he made four high level plays in a row in crunch time in the fourth game, which is like, if you want to find them, if you want to find one moment to focus on, I probably, I would probably choose that. I, I'm not an optimist as you know, Wes, but if I was a Hawks fan, I'd be like, Hey, that was a pretty cool stretch from my rookie guard. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the one thing you do take away from him is you know, he does, 
you know, he's fearless. He gets knocked down. He gets Big back time. up. Like, you know, he was competing on defense, like I said, the entire, you know, entire stretch of five games. So he's kind of got those intangibles, you know, maybe the results on the floor aren't great, but you can tell he's a competitor and that he's, he's going to work hard and look at his film and, and, you know, get better off of it. Yep. I am with you on that. All right, that is it for part one of a two-part conversation with myself and Wes Morton. So if you will, definitely, I encourage you to stay tuned for part two. Anywhere you get your podcasts, either on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, it should be available in your feeds right now. And much more to come on the rest of Summer League as well as some Siakam talk in part two. Please subscribe to this podcast. Check out Peachtree Hoops for Wes's content. And we'll see you all next time.